Now, from now on, that's our series. We're all done. Good night, Toledo. We are in the last lesson of the series from now on. I encourage you to grab your notes and get ready to take some notes as we are walking through this last lesson with us in this series. I'm looking forward to the next series. Next month we'll begin, next Sunday we'll begin uh, the stories we tell, the story I tell uh, series, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Don't forget the service times will be changing next Sunday. Uh, 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30. Um, 99.9% sure I'm right on that. If not, you'll be a little late, a little early. You'll get it. It'll, it'll be fine. When we say from now on, we mean that something has shifted, that the way it was done in the past is not going to be the way it's done in the future, that something has definitively changed. We're saying we've drawn a line, and now that that line has been crossed, that things will be substantially different in our life, in our home, in our community, in our work, wherever this area of from now on, this from now on decision is being made, it's going to be different. But without, without action, it's just words. And, and how many of us know someone who has said, I'm never going to do that again, and it just wasn't so? How many have said, I am never going to do that again, and it just wasn't so? We, we get to the place where we say, it's going to be different, and then, but for some reason, it's just not as different as we decided it would be or desired for it to be. So we've we put some action steps behind it so that things will actually begin to shift in our life. Action step number one was let God move your story forward. Second action step was move from common to uncommon by following God's directions. Action step number three was mature your relationship by rejecting excuses to move forward. And action step number four last week was intentionally move forward with people following the same leader. We talked about life groups and had life group launch. And if you weren't able to be with us last week due to travel or weather or whatever the reason may have been, then I encourage you online, on site, online, look at the, on, on the website, all of the life groups that are listed there. Many of them have an online component and an on site component. So people from all over the country have been a part of our life groups via Zoom and other platforms. On site, as you leave the church today, on your right-hand side, on that wall, uh, uh, there's a whole, just a whole lot of little, I don't know what you call them, little hangers, and you can put, there's slips of paper in them, in there talking, this is terrible, this is as bad as Pastor David explaining the giving kiosk, but... But there, all the life groups are there, and you can get information on each life group. And Miss Debbie Pawoski will be there along with some other people to help if you have any questions about any of the life groups. Take a step forward. Take an action step to intentionally move forward with people following the same leader. Because God's story in your life, what he's writing, the, the story he's developing in your life is never accomplished alone. It can never be accomplished alone. It wasn't designed for you to do this alone. And that's true for everyone at every level of life. It doesn't matter uh, how, how far you've come and how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how high you've risen. In fact, the reality is the higher we rise and the broader we get in life, the more dependent on others we become. 
eventually we can't do it all our own. In fact, a life that is lived literally alone is a very tiny life indeed. And so God is introducing a from now on moment here in Acts chapter 1. And he's taking us from Old Testament, Old Covenant, to New Testament, New Covenant. And he's saying from now on, it's not going to be like it was in the law, under the law, and under the prophets. It's going to be something new. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again. And, and from now on, things are going to be very different than they have been. But he talks to his team and he gives them some instructions. How many of you want to be on Team Jesus today? If you're a believer, you're on Team Jesus. So here's his instructions to his team on that day. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the disciples, they were wondering when Jesus was going to rise Israel back to national and, and international prominence. They wanted to know, when are we going to become uh, independent as a nation and going to become powerful again as a nation? And, and Jesus answered that by saying, that's not for you to know. That is what only the Father is going to be determining. But for you, here's what you need to know. Your focus is that God's kingdom is coming to earth. That's your focus. You have a role to play in that happening on earth. But in order for you to do what you're called to do, it's going to take a different kind of power than the power that you have achieved to date, the, the power that you have received to date. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. When you wait for the promise of the Father, it will come upon you. When it comes upon you, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there will be power that will infill, that will fill your life at that point in a way that it's, you've never experienced before. That's what Jesus is telling his team. Now think about the fact that the disciples are faithful believers. They believed in Jesus as the Messiah before anybody else. They traveled with him for three and a half years. They are dedicated to him like no one else. They have, they have suffered for him. They, they are facing persecution for the name of Jesus' sake. And, and so all of this is true. But their knowledge of him, their relationship with him, and even their faith in him would not be enough for them to fulfill the calling of God in their life from now on. From now on, something different was going to have to happen. In fact, everything they put into him would not enable them to fill their role. They needed the power of God put into them, from God into the world. Amen. That need has not changed from that day until this. That need remains the same. We need the power of God in operation in our lives as believers if we're going to fulfill the role that God has called us to fulfill. In fact, here's our big idea today. From now on moments, rely on God's power at work in your life. They rely on God's power at work in our lives. We need God's power. And we see this throughout the New Testament. We see this in our lives even right now today. On Pentecost, they relied on God's power to provide the Holy Spirit. 
They, they, they relied on God's power to reveal and to offer the promise of the Father into their lives. They'd never experienced this before. This was going to be a whole new paradigm, a whole new thing. And they relied on the power of God to bring something to pass that they could not bring to pass on their own. The apostles all throughout the New Testament relied on the power of God. They prayed for the sick. They cast out demons. They endured persecution. They spread the gospel around the globe, all relying on the power of God in their life, relying on something that was greater than themselves, standing before the rulers of the world. They relied on the power of God to give them the strength and the ability to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. You and I rely on the power of God in salvation. In salvation, we rely on God's power to wash us. His sovereign power declares us righteous in the world. He cleans us. When we accept him and allow him to be our Lord and Savior, we step into that relationship with, us, with him. Suddenly, the power of God becomes present in our life and makes us clean. His power over death removes the sting of death. This week... We're celebrating the life of a man who put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, sitting with his family at his deathbed. He had not passed yet, but I'm sitting there with a wife and with daughters, and, and we're talking about this man and his life, and, and, and they're grieving, yes, but they're also celebrating his life, and they're talking about the fact that, that he is going to leave this this thing called time and step into eternity and heaven is going to be his home where he will live forever with Jesus and in soon enough amount of time they will join him there and forever be with the Lord. The sting of death is removed. The power of the grave is removed. It no longer has the final victory over your life. The power over hell. Hell can't hold you because Jesus has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. The power of sin as your master is broken. So you and I, as believers, we can live outside of sin. We can live in righteousness that we could not earn, we do not deserve, but we have because of the power of God given to us, granted to us by the grace of God. What a beautiful place we stand in as believers. And so it would seem like just a totally natural thing to want to experience God's power in, in its fullness and in every way. Whatever God would have for us, it would seem natural that we would say, yes, whatever you have for us, God, we want. Here's the problem and here's our issue. Our human nature desires to control our experience with God. It, it, it's why idolatry is so prevalent in humanity. He said, well, wait a minute, you know what? I, I, I drove through my neighborhood, I drove through Toledo, I've driven through all, of the, and I have not seen graven images of different gods out in people's yards and them bowing to them. Okay, in my neighborhood, I have not seen that very often at all. I've been a lot of places, and in some parts of the world, I have seen that. I have not seen that here in Sylvania or in any part of Toledo that I've been in. So we, we might... Be, a, be mistakenly thinking that idolatry isn't a thing today. 
But it very much is a thing today, even in our own world. We, we, Romans chapter 1 actually talks through the, the way that humanity develops idols, and, and we take the glory of the incomprehensible, un, incorruptible God, and we make it into images of both comprehensible and, and, and corruptible things. And it talks about things like beasts and birds, but it also talks about humanity itself. We become an idol unto ourselves. We, we look at other people and make them idols. I, no, I haven't seen carven images of, of any particular God in my neighborhood, but you know what I do see? I do see flags of every team out there. I do hear the air horn when a touchdown is made and people yelling about it. Some pro, some con, but yelling about it. I'm pro Sports, I'm, I'm not anti-sports in any way whatsoever. I enjoy sports myself. But, but there are people who will go out of their way, spend more money and, give, and sacrifice more out of life in order to be at the game than be and worship. <laughs> yeah, I said that out loud. <laughs> we, we will dedicate more to the game the game of tiny people all the way to great big people. And in some ways that can become an idol to us. Things that we put above God. And, and here's, the, here's the reality. Whether it be sports or anything else, choose your own adventure on that. The God I create is the God I control. And so I might not control them entirely, but I can control my interaction with them. I get to decide when I will interact, when I won't interact, what they will care about, what they won't care about. I can learn all about them. If you, if you, can't, if you don't know the books of the Bible, but you can quote every statistic of the, of the people playing on the team that you love, you may have an idol above another. This is, this is a lesson in how to shrink a church. I'm telling, I'm showing, I'm giving you a demonstration right now. But it's also true. Okay, moving on. I determine my experience with them. And here's a, here's a trap that believers can fall into. We can fall into the trap of knowing God intellectually, but not experientially. We, we fall into a trap of saying, I know all about God, and we mistake knowing about Him as experiencing Him. So we might study the scripture and we might be able to quote church fathers. We might can defend the scripture absolutely. And we know the history and the traditions of the church and how Christianity came to be and all the different stuff around it. But when difficulty rises, let's say uh, pandemics come upon us or, or financial uncertainty is, is looming or a doctor's report is not a good report or there's uncertainty in a relationship, too often a believer's response looks very little different than an unbeliever's response. We, we get filled with the same fear and the anxiety and, and we say some of the same words and, and we react in life the same way that somebody who does not call on Jesus as Lord and Savior, and yet we do. These are the moments when believers should express something different from our lives. Something different than what's being expressed by unbelievers. Jesus came and he said, hey, I'm going to give you peace over fear. 
I'm going to give you love over hate. I'm going to cause you to embrace others versus to rebuff others. I'm going to, I'm going to call you to operate in generosity versus protectionism. I'm going, to, I'm going to call you to community versus isolation. I'm going to call you to acceptance versus rejection. This is what I'm calling you to. But I'm asking you and I to think about our homes today. Think about the atmosphere of our home. Think about the social media posts that we've put out over the last couple of years. Think about our private conversations that we've had when we really said what we really think and what's in our hearts. And think about all those things and ask, are we displaying the fruit of the Spirit? Are we expressing the fruit of the Spirit into the world? Or are we expressing the thoughts and works of the flesh into the world? Now, it seems simple. It seems simple to say, well, I know that it should be the fruit of the Spirit, but I can't seem to work that up in me because I just, I just see some things and I just know some stuff. And I don't know if I'm experiencing the power of God at work in my life because when I really examine myself, I seem to be on the, the carnal or the human side more than the spiritual side of things in the Word of God. So it would seem like we would say, yes, God, anything you, all the power in heaven and earth that belongs to you, you said you would fill me with a, with a different kind of power. And so I'm, I'm asking you to do that very thing. And it would seem like we would want that, desire that, but why do we fight against it? Here's why we fight against it. I can't fully experience God's power without totally surrendering mine. God did not call us to live our best life now. God called us to die and to live in Christ. That's what he called us to. So we struggle. We want his power on demand. We want to turn on the TV, scroll to the right app, turn it on, and scroll over and and find the show that we're looking for, the the power that we're looking for, and, and we click on it. And then we get really frustrated when on this app it starts in season three instead of season one. And we wonder, I'm paying for this service, why can't I have season one and two? How come I got to start in three? So then you find out you can get one and two, but you have to subscribe to a whole different, okay, I'm just going through some therapy right now on this whole everybody streaming their own stuff business, but... But that's how we want to treat God. We say, God, uh, now, now and how, now and how. This is what we want your power to do. And what God is saying, no, 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 I want your life completely. I want your life completely. I want you to express me into the world. But here is my thought for us today. You can only express what you first ingest. If you don't get it in you, you're not going to get it out of you. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Matthew 15, it says the words that you say are expressions of what's in your heart. So sometimes people will say stuff that they later regret and they go, I don't even know what happened. That's not even me. Yeah, it is. It is in fact you. You say what's in your heart. And what's in your heart may be to deceive, it may be to hurt, it may be to... It, may, it also may be to help and to clarify and to love. But what's in your heart will eventually come out of your mouth. And every expression of our lives begins on the inside 
before it's being expressed on the outside. Every expression of our life. Think about the disciples. Their their whole calling from day number one of meeting Jesus was to express the gospel into the world. That was their whole calling. There was never a moment that Jesus talked with them or dealt with them or led them that the gospel being preached to the world was not their calling. It was always their calling, but they watched Jesus be crucified. They watched his body be taken from the cross and put into the grave. And once the, the tomb was sealed up, we find them hiding from the world. Jesus gets out of the tomb. He, he comes alive from the grave. He rises on the third day and he, and he walks out of the tomb and he has to go find his disciples. He does things like walks through a door. Number one, that's totally freaky. Number two, they were locked away in hiding. We don't find them teaching the gospel of a Messiah after watching him die for their sin and be put into a tomb. No, not at all. It's after he's risen and after he's come back to them and he still is pushing them to go do what he's called them to do. And he says, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to receive the promise from the Father. So they knew about God intellectually. They recognized Jesus as Savior. But in a tough moment, that was not enough to allow them, to empower them to fulfill the calling in their life. No, he had to go find them. It was only after receiving the promise of the Father in Jerusalem that the power of God came upon them in a totally unique and, and, and supernatural way. And it was from then on that they became the witnesses of Christ in the world. They did it with boldness and fervor. But that idea of witness is interesting because it's the Greek word martus. It's where we get the English word martyr. It means that we're, we're, we're so passionate about what is true that we're willing to give up everything in order to pursue it, in order to, ex- to express it in the world. And it's not lost to me, and I hope it's not lost on you, that, that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, uses the Apostle Paul as his primary example throughout the entire book of what it means to be a, a witness of the gospel. Paul gives up his worldly power as a Pharisee of Pharisees, and, and he becomes a hated enemy of the Pharisees. He gives up all of his privilege in the world in order to be able to share the gospel with the world. And he writes over two-thirds of the New Testament, and he does most of it from a prison cell. How many of us today would be so filled with the power and presence of God that if we were in prison, we would be at such peace that we could hear the Holy Spirit speak to our life and it would be so powerful and present in our life that we would begin to write. We wouldn't write a letter after letter after letter saying, woe is me, get me out of this prison, fight the government, make sure you get me the best legal counsel. No, no, no. Our letters are, hey, I'm fine. I'm Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm at peace at where I am, whether I'm abounding or whether I'm abased. I'm, I'm I have joy in the Lord and I have peace that passes all understanding. That's the Paul that we read about in Scripture. That's the Paul that's filled with the power of God, relying on the power of God. To be the witness that God called him to be. 
How were the disciples and on through the book of Acts and on into the early church, how were they witnesses? And well, one is you had the witness of the miracles that were seen. And sometimes we think, well, man, if we had, wit if we had miracles like that happening every day, well, my goodness, everybody would believe. And maybe they would. But in the book of Acts, the book of Acts covers historically about 30 years. And over that 30-year time, it records about 30 miracles. Breaking down to approximately, now I'm not the greatest math person on the planet, but that's approximately one a year. I'm that good at math. And it covers a whole lot of geography. So according to what we can see in the book of Acts, now we know that every single miracle that was, that was occurring wasn't recorded in the book of Acts, but just based upon the book of Acts, you know that you have miracles happening all across this wide expanse of geography in many different places in many different towns at approximately the rate of one per year. Now, did some people come to Christ because of miracles? No doubt. But there was also the witness of the spoken word. People who shared their stories with their friends and their neighbors and, and those that they met along the way. And, and we might think, well, if we just had the kind of communication that they had back then, well, man, we could really win some people to Christ. And boy, we could really be witnesses. More communication is going on today in this service than, was, than is done on, 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 in many days, in many months of days in the time that the New Testament was being written and the book of Acts is covering there's more communication and dialogue today than ever before in the history of humanity. We have the communication. But I believe that the most impacting witness is the witness of a changed life. And that's what was going on in the New Testament as much or more than any other kind of witness. When life should have caused turmoil and panic and fear and anger, believers lived in peace. Peace. We see it in the life of Paul. We, we know it's not because everything was good all the time, but he was at peace. Psalms chapter 119 verse uh, 165 says, Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Great peace. When you love the law of God, when you love the word of God, it brings a great peace into your life. So when crazy stuff happens, you don't flip out. But you stand in peace and make good, solid, rational, and godly decisions. How about Philippians chapter 4, verse 6? I know some of you were asking, well, is there a New Testament reference for this? I was glad you were asking because this is what it says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So if the peace of God is guarding our hearts and minds, that means that it's not just this little wimpy, lethargic, barely making it peace that can only stand up when everything is wonderful. It's peace that guards. It's a military term. It's literally peace that's standing up against, against the onslaught of the world, the onslaught of the enemy, the onslaught of our own carnal nature. And that's the kind of peace that you and I are living in as believers in Christ Jesus if we're filled with the power and presence of God. Fact. 
The peace of God is a byproduct of the power of God. When we receive the power of God into our life, then the peace of God is what is expressed from our life. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. I apologize. I memorized it when I was like two from the King James Version. But that's the stuff that is being expressed from our life. It's not hurtful things. It's not hateful things. It's not, it's not, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. But think about your areas of strength in life. In your areas of strength, you probably have peace. If, if you have a strong marriage, you probably have peace about your marriage. If you have a strong friendship with someone, you probably have peace in that friendship. If you have strong finances, you probably have peace in the area of finances. It's in our weaker areas or the places that we feel vulnerable that we lack peace. But here's the reality, ladies and gentlemen. If you're in a from now on moment and changing from what was to what will become, then whatever that area of your from now on moment is in that God is leading you through and leading you to throughout this series, then, then there's going to be vulnerability as you go into that from now on moment. If, if, you, if there wasn't, you'd have already been doing it. If there wasn't something that was beyond you, then you wouldn't be sitting here going, how do I get to that place? How do I get to that place? Think about the pandemic. When people, when the pandemic first started, some of us thought, oh, this is going to be two weeks. We're going to close everything down. We're going to whip this thing and we're going to move on with life. Mm-hmm. That didn't exactly work that way. Then we thought, well, okay, well, uh, you know, we're going to, it won't last that long, but if we can just encourage ourselves enough. So I'm just going to be encouraging. I'm going to keep being upbeat. I'm just going to, and and eventually we're like, uh, I am upbeat. I am upbeat. I am happy right now. Then why do you sound like a demon in a bad B-rated movie? Uh, I just do. I don't know. Then we said, well, if we can just get more house. So everybody started buying different houses. Good for you. All of you. And then then people started saying, well, if we can just get more life in this house. And so 50 billion puppies were adopted and 700 cats. and, And you notice the difference between puppies and cats. But anyway, and we are having a baby boom right now. It is happening, okay? If we can just have more life around this house. And then, and then it kept going and it was like, well, if we can just connect more with others. And so Zoom had a field day and made lots of money and as well as all the other online platforms. And then, and then we said, well, if we can just stabilize the economy. Every one of us have hit a vulnerable moment or a vulnerable place at some point in this process. You can intellectually understand that God's got this. You can intellectually get that, that, you know, 
I believe in God and I believe that if God is God, then everything is somehow. But there's a difference in believing about him and experiencing him for yourself to where whenever that situation, that vulnerable moment comes, instead of you feeling like you've got, you have to crouch and, and protect yourself and, and try to hide away from the world, lock yourself away to where Jesus himself has to walk through a door to come find you. Instead, you find yourself out fulfilling the call of God in your life with a level of confidence that defies human understanding. Why? Because the power of God is at work in your life. He's at work in your life. And when you experience that with God, when you experience that kind of love, that kind of power in your life, then it allows you to express stuff into the world that you would have no other way to express Expressing God's truth into natural reality is expressing the power of God. So when that negative thing hits you and you say, God's able. When that bad report comes and you say, but God's got me. And it's not something you just intellectually think, but it's something that you feel in such a way as to where the peace of God that passes all understanding is your reality. That the joy of the Lord that is your strength according to scripture is your reality. It doesn't mean that you don't have any sense of, of uncertainty. It doesn't mean that you're not sure. It doesn't mean that you're sure even in the face of it all. And it certainly doesn't mean that you don't have moments of going, I wonder what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, you can say, I'm going to be okay. As Job said, though he slay me yet will I trust him I trust him because I have his power at work within me last week we talked about life groups and we launched them and I'm really encouraging you if you haven't connected with one to connect with one today we're talking about them, but pride rises up in our hearts and our minds and says I don't need anybody else I don't need anything else and the fact is we all do we all need someone else and we all need the power of God and we don't need God's power as an on-demand offering in our life that when we call upon it, we say, God, here's, here's now, we want it now, and here's how we want it. No, no, we say, God, every single day, your power and your presence is an ever-present reality in my life. So when I get up in the morning, you're there Whenever I, whenever I begin to speak throughout the day, you're, you're being expressed from me. Whenever I go through my life and, 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 and interact with people at work, I'm expressing the power and presence of God. When I'm teaching kids and when I'm sharing with others, it's the power and presence of God from within me. When I'm coaching others, it's the power and presence of God. When, I, when I'm encouraging friends, it's the power and presence of God. When I'm sitting by myself in a room, not really sure what the next step is, I'm praying about it, I'm thinking about it, I'm planning into it, but the power and presence of God is in my life and it's being expressed from my life. We've said throughout this series, these different action steps, let God move your story forward. Move from common to uncommon by following God's directions. Mature your relationship by rejecting excuses to move forward. Intentionally move forward with people following the same leader. And you cannot do any of those things without God's presence and power in your life. And so today's action step is this. Receive God's power into your life, then release his power from your life. Receive his power into your life. Then release his power from your life. And the way you do that is say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I receive your power. Whatever you have for me, whatever you have for me, whatever you want to do in me, I, re I 
I release all of my own power and I receive yours. Now, you might be saying, well, what is that going to look like? What's that going to feel like? What, what does that mean? What does that require? And you can debate all kinds of things. That's not the point that we're having today. The point is I'm open to what you want to do in me, Father, because I know that you're not going to do anything in me that's not for my good. And so I receive the power and presence of God in my life. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and I'm going to ask prayer partners to come forward. And as we end this service, we're going to do so with communion. I'm going to lead you in communion, so go ahead and get out the elements. As you're preparing that, I'm going to ask them to put a declaration up on the, the screens for us. And here's something that you can pray each and every morning. Make it a prayer, make it a declaration, however you feel it needs to be in your life. But I'm going to ask you to read it with me off the screens. And then we're going to join in communion together. Ready? My life is filled with the power and presence of God. I gave up my power in exchange for His. I will express His power and presence into the world today by choosing to align my heart, my head, and my mouth with His Word. In Jesus' name, amen. And I encourage you to take a picture of that on the screen or maybe we can put it out on social media or something later this week. But the reason we have any power to talk about is because one day, Jesus sat with his disciples in an upper room and he took some bread and he said, this is my body. And I want you to remember my body that was broken and sacrificed for you. And so he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And we today receive the body of Christ together. And we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your body broken for me. In a like manner, he took the cup. He said, this is the New Testament in my blood. This is the blood shed for you and for me, the, the blood that washed away our sins. This, this cup is, is representative of that, that sacrifice of the blood that ran down the cross on Calvary's hill. And it gives us the opportunity to know righteousness that we could not earn. We do not deserve. But he says, it's mine to give. And I give it to you. We thank you for your blood, Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for who you are, for what you're doing, and for how you're working in the lives of your people. We're grateful to be your kids filled with your power to express your power into the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray and let everybody say amen.